That's us. That's the applause. We're back. Welcome back. Episode 17. Episode 18. Man, Damn, we literally wrote good. it down at the start of the last one specifically for this reason. We didn't write it down this time and I got it wrong. Yeah. Um, Neil, what's going on? We're back in the studio. I feel like we've been doing a couple in quick succession here, but I know you've got some big travel plans coming up. Yeah. I'm heading down South North Carolina to look at some apartment buildings. Just always heard that the States are a good spot to invest. They have some United States, you've heard that that's a good place to invest. Yeah, you know, that's I, have, nice. I have, I have. I've heard good things about yeah, them. I've heard good, good things. But yeah. uh, honestly, on the real estate side, they have some really good rules, tax incentives, and more competitive markets. So I just wanted to take a look, see what the difference is, right? What 60 a door here buys, what 60 a door there buys, what there is for opportunities. I did notice when shopping, like, I guess Halifax is a small city, but when I shop here, there's like one or two multi-units on market, and it's Man, all the same that. 50 people yeah. that go through. There, I, I filter by 20 unit, and there's 15 options in each city. Yeah. Our market here, everything, well, not everything, but a lot of things still trade hands, like, quote, unquote, off market, like mm-hmm. not on some organized platform, uh, like there may be more common in the States and not like single family residential stuff. It's not who you know, but again, like these things get shuffled around, like, oh, did you hear so-and-so shopping this and, and blah, yeah. blah, so it's hard to kind of find, but it's cool to see other areas like, oh my gosh, you just have a, you know, a bunch of choice. There's you might actually time. be able to shop for different things. It feels like here almost a few years ago and they used to have stuff on market and you could kind of make your pick. Why yeah. North Carolina? Uh, so I started this process of wanting to buy in the States probably about a year ago, year and a half ago. And so I went through all the States and it went through kind of a mixture of like where's having the most population growth. So the East Coast is actually having a big migration from West to East. So really? the East Coast in general is doing really well. Everyone points to Texas and Florida. My thing is I don't like going to places that have already kind of had that massive amount of growth. And so mm-hmm. those places have been having a lot of growth for years. So I feel like I'm showing up to that party a little late. North Carolina has been growing quite a bit for the last year or two, but not as aggressively. And then there's a lot of tech companies that are moving and setting up shop there. So like biggest notable ones, Apple, uh, outside of Raleigh, they're setting up a giant campus. And there's a bunch of other companies that are also setting up shop there. So it kind of just, it almost reminds me of Halifax, to be honest with you. Just like the population base, the diversity, kind of the rents, the per door cost. Everything was kind of reflective, and I was like, okay, maybe I'll have a better handle because I know Halifax well. Mm-hmm. I might be able to translate some of that info and knowledge to a place like Charlotte or Raleigh. Is it a dry state? Am I, am I matching that? I think you are. Okay. Dry as in like liquor? Yeah, yeah. Can't be. I don't know. Why I'm, ch- I'm changing that? all my plans if I get there. And <laughs> <laughs> No, no. My buddy uh, went to North Carolina. I thought, I remember him saying something like it was a very dry state in mm. terms of booze. But um, that's cool. What sort of cap rates are you seeing down there? Because we, we're, man... We struggle to get a cap rate over 5% when you're buying these days. And that's honestly the same. So I had the conversation with them yesterday and like I originally portrayed, I was like, I want to be buying like six pluses when I get down there. And they're like, no chance in in the world that you're going to buy six plus because they're, oh, really? okay. they're having the same thing where stuff is selling three fours, people are getting the rents up and it's ending and stabilizing at a five and a half. So it's, it's honestly super similar to Halifax now. And I'm okay. already starting to feel like maybe I'm too late because when I looked at it a year ago, I was seeing stuff at fives and sixes. And now, even talking to me, he said like a year from today, or some of these some of these buildings that are on at like 125 a door, he said we're trading at 85 a door last year, which is right. again so similar to what we're seeing here. And so I'm like, maybe I'm a little bit late to the game, but I think there's also if there's people buying at three and a half, that's obviously means that there's an opportunity for rental increase. Yeah, that's a cool thing about real estate is no matter where you are, a lot of the principles apply the same. You know, yeah. cap rates the same, no matter what language you're speaking. Yeah, money's money, bricks are bricks. You have to learn the nuance of the market from a rent perspective and even just the cost of trades and things like that. But it's probably cheaper down there, I'd imagine. Yeah, big time. Um, and the tax implications and the tenancy laws. So I don't know how much time you've had to dig in around those. But the actual idea of money in, money out um, is very similar no matter where you go. And this is why areas need to be very careful about how they encourage or discourage landlord business and development business because – People will take their money elsewhere. And I'm mm-hmm. kind of stubborn. Like I, I try not to go more than five blocks from my own house. But a <laughs> lot of pretty good at doing it too. Yeah, totally. I stick kind of close to my own neighborhood. But um, no, that's exciting, man. I'm, I'm keen to hear. I will report back what I, what I find. Yeah. And Tanner, why did I think that's a dry state? Can you look that up? 
I don't I, know why that would have been. I but. can't do it right now. But Anyway, what else is new? Uh, not much, really. Uh, just surprised by the numbers here. That's that's all That's all it is. We we were talking about a portfolio we were looking at earlier. It's about 100 units, and I cannot believe the numbers that people are charging for stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are some it's, some, it's desperation. People are just so hot to trot to buy something that um, just finding something, it gets people keen on it right away. And then I think there's just some speculative uh, pricing out there. Yeah. And that's not where those prices will probably land. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> everyone's hopeful and there are people that are coming out of town that are willing to spend the money. Yeah. But anyways, we want to get into today's Topic. Yeah, yeah, we got a guest again today. I think we this, have another guest. Um, I, it's always exciting when we have a guest because we've mentioned many, many times on this podcast that we can tell you what we've done. Yeah, uh, and I've done things one way, you've done things another way. <laughs> I've met with people that have done things differently. Also, different yeah, there is no right or wrong way to do this, and there's also many different avenues through which you can invest in real estate. I was talking to someone today about REITs, for example. Yeah, um, I've alluded to other people who you know, should just get into money lending and be kind of the back end sort of a uh, money maker in real estate assignments, uh, finders fees, all Keep these different things that we've cleaner. talked about. So uh, we've got a guest on today um, who's going to talk about some other things. So Neil, you want to? Yeah, I'll introduce her. So she is a real estate investment and wealth specialist, and she is a founder of RPI, Monica Jasek. And so she's joining us today from, where are you at, Monica? I'm in Toronto. She's in Toronto. A very exciting real estate market. Yeah, yeah. All of us East Coasters love to talk about Toronto, even if we don't know anything about it. It's just everything that's we in our minds, we just hyperbole about Toronto. Everything's based on Toronto. We say, yeah. like Toronto. I've heard this happens in Toronto. Oh, we're getting like Toronto here. That's what people love to say. You are getting like Toronto. Oh, gosh. Oh, no. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, no, it's definitely, the. it's a hot word. Toronto, Vancouver. Those are the two that everyone likes to talk about. So, yeah, so Monica, I think today we're gonna we're gonna try and get into some of these. Monica has a lot of knowledge, experience doing, I think, also the hands-on investing, but also with alternative options and and things like that. So yeah, really high level, Monica. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, yeah. and how you got to what you're doing now, and and what exactly are you doing now? Great, sure. So my name is Monica Jazik. I'm a, a real estate specialist and wealth builder and founder of RPI. And I, our goal at RPI is to educate and empower everyday people to invest like the top 2%. Uh, and the top 2% primarily invest in real estate. Yep. So they say 90% of the world's millionaires have real estate in their portfolio. And yet only 6% of the population invests in real estate. And oh, I believe RPI is a global company. So I love the conversation on the U.S. Great market, North yep. Carolina, by the way. Same with Atlanta, okay. Texas. Love the U.S. We have chapters all throughout the U.S. We have chapters in the Maritimes. We yeah, have chapters all across Canada. And for listeners, what does RPI um, stand for? Real property investments. Okay, so if people so, are looking for you online, that's kind of what they can search up. But continue, yeah. Yep, real. Pro- we just did a rebranding play to RPI Education because when we started as Real Property Investments, our tagline was Real Property Investments, helping real people build real wealth in real estate. And what was so important to me about the name of the company was real. The play on the word real, because I'm an everyday person. And I want to help everyday people. This has always been my passion. And I do want to help everyday people invest in real estate because I know how scary and intimidating real estate can be. Mm-hmm. That's everyone, kind of, yeah. I don't think just 6% of the population want to invest in real estate. I think 100% of the population wants to invest in real estate, but they just feel like it's reserved for the wealthy. It's reserved for this top 2%. This was kind of the idea with our, with our podcast in general was just this idea of, okay, how do we make this more relatable to people out there? Because as much as we like to to feel like, okay, we have this wealth and knowledge and this experience, what we're doing is not rocket science. It's, you know, simple ideas applied with diligence with a little bit of guidance. Uh, It just takes a bit to get started. And we've spent a lot of time talking about how Neil got started, how I got started. How did you sort of get started? Okay. Well, I do believe the reason why people don't do it is because a confused mind does not act mm-hmm. and the, people need to help get started. Now, how I got started was I had to do all this on my own with my husband. I was one of those people. I distinctly remember looking out the window 
thinking I, I knew I wanted to real, invest in real estate. We knew we wanted to do something different because uh, the traditional way of investing was not working for us. And we made a huge decision as a young married couple way many, almost 20 years ago, that um, I would be a stay-at-home mom. And so that was our number one decision. And then we made another decision, which was to move, move from Australia to Canada, where I'm oh, wow. from. And so we did it with one baby in tow. And then I'm out to here expecting number two. My husband's making great money working, but we really felt that financial pinch as homeowners in an expensive market and really realized it takes two salaries to just get by. But I really wanted to be there for my family and wanted to have that freedom in my life. So I wasn't the financial plan. Right. Mm -hmm. And it it was really a difficult thing to do, but it really made me take finances because I don't have a business background, finance background or anything. And I had to learn it all on our own. So rewind way back then, we were doing like wealthy barber strategy, trying to save 10% you know, of our money, investing in our ESPs, RSPs, all these sort of things. Mm-hmm. And I really realized this was not working. You know, we were not getting any closer to our financial goals. And the only solution was for my husband, who was making over six figures, to continue doing that and for me to join him on that. And I did forfeit a career where I would would have been making that. And, and was, I was he cognizant of that? Was he working in real estate or Another, no, not at yeah. All. What would you? Was there a, neither of us had any real estate, any business, any any background. We were totally enti- entirely. So all we knew was I wanted to be home and uh, have that freedom. So at least one parent is there for yep. children, mm-hmm. and that was. And we wanted to be able to afford it. And it, we didn't want to settle, like compromise. Like I didn't want to be put in the box. Yeah. That I was pretty much put in. Was there a key moment that you decided it was going to be real estate? Because I know Neil had his Forbes list of wealthiest people and realized they all did real estate. Yeah. For me personally, it was just uh, advice that a mentor of mine mentioned of how even people who own their own company or are in these top 1% of their profession or whatever, they all have real estate. What was it for you that made you realize that the RESPs and and the all these other maybe more traditional saving methods weren't going to get you to where you wanted to be. Was there one little tipping point for you? Absolutely. We had a very big light bulb moment. 2008, all of our hard-earned savings were gone. Our projected retirement returns were $40,000. Yeah. Neil was in junior high at the time. So diligently setting money aside. I had enough money to send maybe one kid to school. And we knew we had to do something different. At yeah. that moment, you know, everything just, we just knew how volatile stocks are, how traditional planning does not work and it's keeping society down. Like it's just ridiculous. Now, what was this talk about minimum wage being, oh, we're in a housing crisis because no one can afford housing. So let's up the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Yeah. As if that's how does that make there. sense? Yeah. How does yeah. that help anyone? We need a mind shift change. And that's what I got from reading yeah. Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah. Yep. I experienced a total 180 mind shift change about finances, about real estate, about investments, and from assets, liabilities, all that stuff. That's what changed my life. I realized that everything that I was learning the traditional way is not good. And we had to turn things around and do things differently. That savers are losers. You don't get rich saving. <laughs> yeah, and it's if true. you're not it, it in charge true, of yeah. your own finance finances and you don't understand how it works, you're forever going to be a slave for money. We need to get our money working for us rather than us working for our money. I wanted to stop. I used to think trading time for money was a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I think we were chatting earlier, and you were asking, "So what did you do today?" And I was saying, "Oh, I was playing tennis and." doing this and that. And to me, when I'm on the court and I'm on there every day, I'm making money. Yeah. If you yeah, said no, investments so properly. Yeah. So what was your, uh, was it in 2008 that you made your first investment then? Or did you, did you grab a piece of real estate or was it within a year or two within that? Yeah. So right after that, we, we, we started teaching ourselves about real estate. So once again, there was no community, no assistance. Yeah. We had this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which does not teach you how to invest in real estate, no, by the way. No, no. It's <laughs> it's more of a concept and, yeah. mm-hmm. and tactics and a mindset thing. It's also of a different time to some degree. Yeah. 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 So, 
we um, ended up buying, we, we thought we ended, we identified a great place to buy real estate and we ended up buying four homes in, wow. in pretty much back to back to back to back. And they were different homes are like for different reasons. Our first one was a vacation rental near a place where I used to go skiing. Gotcha. Yeah. And it was a very comfortable spot for us. And, you know, we, um, we, we felt like, oh, we could use it sometimes and then yeah. we can rent it out. And yeah. A lot of people get in. Yeah. A lot of people do that even in our market here. Cause yeah. it's like, okay, I want to sort of be a landlord. I also want this other thing and I can offset the cost of my second property with rental and it's always easy to kind of turn the rental off because you're just doing it as a short-term situation. So you feel it's lower commitment. So that is- More is, in control. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people kind of, that's a good entry point. What was and the And it was a very novice entry point. Right. And it was a very novice way of thinking and it didn't make us any money. <laughs> so we still yeah. weren't thinking the same way. Yeah. Um, so that was our first, our first thing. And then the other properties we were buying- was in a, a town in Northern Ontario, nine hours from Toronto. Jeez. And my mother was actually born there. So there was some sense of familiarity, but I was buying $40,000 homes and renting them out for a thousand dollars a month. Okay. I was going to ask, oh, where did, okay. how did you put together enough cash to buy four? I think that's a question a lot of people would ask is how did you get four down payments in one go? Yeah. I refinanced my primary residence. Yeah. We've okay. talked about that a lot too. more money than that. Yeah. Because these were like $8,000 properties. Well, the one in, in, um, yeah. And not eight thousand dollar properties, eight thousand dollar down payments. But the one, the ski rental was obviously way more expensive. That yeah. was like an hour from yeah. Toronto. But um, yeah, we did refinance. That was the one thing that our financial planner actually ever did for us. Really great, <laughs> as wonderful as he is, he is great. Uh, I guess, sort of. But anyways, <laughs> um, I hope he's not listening to this. Great, but actually, it ended up. Put it this way: five years later, he looked. We were account. He, we work for him now. Right. We are doing his investments now. Right, right. Yeah. So like he was looking at us, he goes, What happened to you? I remember you two didn't know what life insurance was. Yeah. And we were <laughs> like, let us have a look at your portfolio. We'll tell you what to do. Yeah, yeah. And that's how, how that's actually a true story. Yeah. That's we were counseling him in the end. Yeah. All after right. a long relationship. But he came to us one day and he was so excited about Manulife One. Mm-hmm. And this consolidated mortgage. Product. Yeah, yeah, those one this line of credit across. Yeah, yeah. They were the only ones. <laughs> yeah, those are basically like original like home equity lines of credit, right? You'd have this one line of credit over over your home. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, that, that yeah. might predate Neil's. Yeah, I say I, I haven't experience, experienced so. that, yeah, but yeah. okay, so it's it's yeah. a HELOC. Yeah, it's a HELOC. We're like okay. the pioneers of this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you slept that and you had those four and, you know, it sounds like the ski property maybe didn't cash flow that well, but the other ones would have been cash flowing a little bit. What was next? Well, we realized we didn't know what we were doing because then we got out leveraged. Um, We had so much money left over. I'm like, I could buy a million of these. (laughs) You have no buying power left. Right, right. Yeah. And so then we had to start looking for joint venture partners. Oh, okay. And. We also realized, well, one thing, we didn't really know what we were doing yeah. for one thing. Um, we need to form, before we, we didn't know what a joint venture partner was. Sorry. So I put this bit out of sequence. Yeah. We realized we didn't know what the heck we were doing. We were just buying homes and going on tickety-boo thinking, trying to figure this out on our own. We needed some training. Mm. Yeah. So then all of a sudden, Robert Kiyosaki was going to be in town in a hotel room. I'm like, oh yeah, but. Yes, it wasn't him, unfortunately. It was one of his. Uh, so they always do that. They always. <laughs> do that. I signed up for one of those real estate courses as well, and it was it was the couple. Scott Mc- oh no, who was it? Maybe Scott. I don't know. It was one of these HGTV couples, and they were like, <laughs> "You just liked oh, the girl." That's you so adorable, Neil. Can oh. Neither confirm nor deny why I was going, but it said real estate, and I yeah, they like hyped it all up, and then I showed up and. Unfortunately, due to circumstance, da, 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 they can't come, but they're going to come on a but little here's Skype. Carl. Yeah, exactly. Here's our guy, Carl, and they're going to come on a Skype for two minutes. And you could tell it was pre-recorded because they were literally Ooh. asking the questions and there was like these delays. Like they would ask a question and they'd be like a three second delay before the, the couple would answer back. And I was like, they're literally talking to a pre-recorded thing right now right. to create this real estate group. Uh, is that the hotel downtown actually? Anyways, oh. sorry to cut you off. I just thought that was hilarious because I've experienced like that. Well, we were in person. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. no, no, we were, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, like, so we were, like, sitting here. I was, like, really thinking maybe he'd come. I didn't know. This is before all this stuff was really yeah, going yeah. on. So no, totally. You'd expect him to be there. Yeah. So, anyways, he wasn't there. Very disappointing. But this other guy was. And he said some pretty great things. And then they were giving out books and hanging $10 bills. And people are railroading each other to get up there. And end of the day, <laughs> they sold us a three-day course for, yep. like, $300. Or I heard it was a lot more now. Anyhow, yeah. so we're like, do we, don't we, like, what do we do? Should we do this? Can we be anywhere for three days? We have babies, mm-hmm, you know, all mm-hmm. around us. Anyway, so we did it. And we, this was just great. You know, it was more of the same thing. But I did my, like, research before and found out, like, is this a scam? I was all freaking out and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, so we learned some really cool things. So we're already, like, learning new stuff. And then we learned a little more new stuff. And now we're learning even more stuff here about real estate and all these amazing strategies and all this sort of stuff. But then after that course, you have to take the super duper course. Yeah. Um, the old classic. Because otherwise, so. I equate this to teaching someone how to read and stopping at Q. You're right. In the alphabet. Yep. So I have these notebooks full of strategies and I can't do anything with it. because I don't know. The, <laughs> I don't know the other half. Yeah. Yeah. We get that occasionally someone will reach out and you can tell they're fresh out of some seminar and they've got all the acronyms in the world. <laughs> And then now I want you, Mr. or Mrs. Realtor, to take it over the finish line. But they don't have actually anything in place. They've got a lot of book learning, but not necessarily a lot of doing. So did you you upsell? Did you go to the other course or did you branch off again? No, we went. We committed. We went. We were so programmed at that point when they were like, Stand up if you're it. And so, like, because it's all this NLP stuff. So, we actually legit stood up. They're they like, do that. Yes. No like, way. We're the only ones. Stand, stand up, up if you what? And you know what they said? They're like, great, go over there and pay. Oh, that's literally, that's, oh, this is the exact same thing that they did the one I went to stand up right now. If you want to take control of your future, you stand up and then be like, all right, now go over here and pay. Literally. And then what are you going to do? Sit back down. Like, I don't want to take control of my future anymore. Go over there and sign up. And then you feel like you have to. Yeah. You feel like you have to. There's like a group of people. For being an action taker. Oh my God. No (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. I love it. I love that. Um, I don't know, but I did it. We yep. did it. And it was a fortune and we learned a lot of really great things. Yeah. So and there you go. They're in three day increments. And yep. one thing we really did, the reason we were successful or not successful, I don't know what you define successful, transactional maybe. Mm-hmm. We actually did the work. So we knew what this meant to us as a young family. We knew what this meant as a financial commitment. It was very, very expensive. It was, right. it was a lot of three day things when you have young children that's something really to consider because our kids were mm. really babies back then. And to even get care, we don't have any help with that. So we did it and we learned all these great, amazing strategies. And we met all these great, amazing people who were also keen. And it really kind of expanded our mindset and our way of learning. And that was fantastic. And we all, but we really wanted to make sure we were getting our money's worth. And we really went out in the field and implemented at the exact same time. As a group, like the group you went through with, or or as you were taking the course, you were putting these things into action right away? We were given the knowledge from the course, and my husband and I had to figure it out on our own when we were putting it in action. Gotcha. So So, real estate is very difficult when when you're doing it in real time than in a classroom. Reading a book and being taught, it doesn't sound too bad, but it can be a little bit more challenging in person. So then what was the first specific thing you did over that course? Like, What did you take from it that most stands out that you put into action right away, for better or worse? That's a really great question. I think that would have to be, it was either rent to own or wholesaling. Oh, interesting. Um, I love people who find their lane in something very different than what I've done and and that- What people traditionally expect when you're talking about real estate, there's like we said like last time, there's so many different options and so stuff like that. Again, wholesaling and rent to own are very alternative things that people don't necessarily think about automatically. Yeah. Yeah. So, and those were just two because those yeah. are things they touch on. But anything they taught me, I'd go out and do. So at the end of this course, our first year of real estate, we did over 100 transactions. Wow. Whether it was wholesales, assignments, Jesus. everything, because we wanted to get our money's worth. So we were doing commercial real estate, residential real estate, Hold land on. development, cottages. I got I to press pause here. Wholesales, everything. I got to press pause here so people heard that correctly because this is a real person doing real things. Your first deal in real estate, first year in real estate after this, you did how many transactions? Over 100 transactions year one. Over 100 transactions in year one. Now, now so that we're clear, 
which is insane. And I'm not, I'm not trying to describe it, but she doesn't mean she's buying 100 Yeah, but you're doing right? 100 exactly. plays. 100 plays within real estate. Yep. Again, so it's not like you have to have $5 million ready to roll. But yeah, so and you did this through a method of wholesaling and saying and other options. And this isn't a good thing. <laughs> it's still impressive but, yeah. say I'm super, but but then i thought i was it like oh yeah you would have been i thought i was and i always say donald trump before donald trump was donald trump yeah um, yeah like i thought You're i was feeling yourself like yeah the mac daddy of real estate <laughs> yeah i've dealt with I a couple people like that too <laughs> i thought real estate was the only way to go active real estate's the only way to go i'm so amazing i had phones and I lost my life for three years. Oh my gosh. Um, I, I never imagine. saw my kids. I yeah. worked 20 hour days. We were both delusional. I don't know what we were doing. And we made a million dollars in mistakes. And we wrote about it in our book called Real Estate Mistakes. Yeah. And um, so at the end of the day, we made a lot of money, so, so much. And then we lost so, so much. And it was just. How did, how did you lose the money? Because that's time. always just as interesting as getting the money. Yeah. I'm not afraid to say I made mistakes. I, this all the, everything I learned in real estate and from all those courses because I learned too much and went too fast too soon. I'm a very excellent wealth consultant because <laughs> there's very little I have not done in the industry. So you were doing some land development. You were doing some rent to owns, some assignments, and, and some things of that nature. And you had scaled up and you did this. It sounds like for three years, and then things started to go sideways. Things were going sideways probably f during the entire three years. From a mental like, health bandwidth I had standpoint? nine <laughs> unfiled tax returns. Oh, oh okay. gotcha. Yeah, yeah. That'll get you. That'll, yeah. that'll get you. <laughs> yeah. I had, no one got, like, I had to get my ducks in a row. It took, and it took us yeah. years to even sort all that out. Like, everything that I was taught and doing too much too soon, I had to undo yeah, and they figure don't... out really why am I doing this? in the first place. And it was right. to be home with my kids. And I wasn't home with my kids. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it, I was Your not end goal. authentic Preach. to myself. Preach. Yeah. And it wasn't until someone looked at me in a mastermind, a business coach who just shot me down right in the spot. Yeah. And just told me straight up, you're in a, like a fraud. Like, who do you think you are lady? Like you think you're busy and you're so successful just because you're so transactional. Because mm -hmm. I was the same way and I lost my life and you're losing yours. Yeah. And um, you know why? If you were that successful, you wouldn't be doing so much. I thought I was one of those annoying people that went to the room and wanted a hundred properties. But you know, it's it's hard it's person. hard not to get down to that situation because once you have success, I find like it's it's addictive. Yep. You have success with one or two of these deals or one or ten of these deals, and then you immediately want to keep doing them because you're like, that wasn't so bad. I understand how the system works. I can multiply this by a hundred. And, and keep cranking it out. And so you're making money and you're going crazy with it. Yeah. I mean, yes, you might have missed you're, some of the numbers here and there, but it's addictive when you're doing it. And, and real estate is yeah. sexy. Like, you can tell people, like, I cranked out 100 deals this year. People are like, oh, totally. wow, wow. Oh, I own this property. I did this. I did that. Saying that. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay, you did 100 deals this year, 100 whatever. You know, like, I did 100 this or that whatever. Like, who are you even really impressed? If you're doing True. real estate right, you could change your entire financial landscape with one property. Yeah. yeah, and I have a webinar on that. How one property can change your entire financial landscape. Yeah, I mean, so, easily. Yeah, yeah, easily. If you if you actually realize what you're doing it for, and can step back from the ego of, well, I'm doing it to say that I'm doing it, or, or for, for what you think is is the good reason. We talked about this validation from outside and what it looks like when you're doing these things, and people often mistake action for progress and kind of don't look yeah. at the consequences or, you know, that's something I struggle with because real estate sales are very transactional yeah. and I like doing a lot of transactions. I take pride in that, but is it affording me the lifestyle that, that I want? Stop, right there, goal. Stop yeah. right there. What did you say? Real estate, what is transactional? Sales. Cause you're a yeah. what? You're a salesman. Yeah. You yeah. are the real estate. That's your role. That's totally. one of your income streams. And yep. for that, you should be transactional. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You I guess I mean, number one. yeah, in, in trying to kind of pivot to a better overall quality of life, it's how to Investing. systemize some of these things and how to invest. And, and then even with yeah. the investment side. Another stream. It's yeah. an amazing yeah. stream. I love it. Everyone asks, why aren't you a real estate agent? Blah, blah, blah. You know, I love working with agents. I love you guys. You guys are awesome. Yeah, we're, all, we're all right. You know that makes one of us. Yeah. <laughs> you will make so much more money. Yeah. You are in yeah. such a great residual stream of it. And you help people. 
yeah. totally. I mean, that's, they, that's, they don't want to use realtors and they want to, yeah. you know, my realtors, I work with hundreds of realtors and I love them. Yeah. I could not do, and these are realtors all across the globe. I could not do what we do and help people if I didn't have amazing realtors like you guys. So what was the next step? You obviously were, were burnt out probably after these three years. It wasn't what you'd imagined. Maybe the money was coming, but it wasn't necessarily affording you the quality of life. So what was next? Oh, no, sorry. That's none of that's true. So I, I was <laughs> okay. delusional. I yeah, wasn't burnt out. I was, I, w- I probably would have kept going if I didn't meet this business coach. Interesting. Yeah. I love who this. shot me down at a mastermind right away and said, you're full of caca and you're not being true to yourself and blah, blah, blah. And so I was like shocked and my husband was shocked. And so I hired him the next day as my coach. I was okay. shocked and salted. I wanted to punch him out. Book there. And I, I hired it. him. Hired him the next day. Worked with him for five years. He changed my life. Okay. He well, changed my life. And this was how and long ago? He was a real estate coach. It was a business coach. Yeah. How long ago was this? Ooh, this would have been about... 2012, 2013. This would have been about nine years ago. Yeah. Okay. 2012. So tell me what life has looked for you since and what new kind of approaches are you taking that you found to be different and better and, and, and what you should have maybe been doing from the jump? A less is more approach. You need to do a less is more approach. Um, people need to figure out what, it, what it is you really want to do this for in the first place and learn what strategies that will help you get there. And also learn that you, maybe you don't need to quit your job. If you have a job, you don't have to be, not everyone has to be a full-time investor, but everyone has to have real estate in their portfolio. And I think that makes yeah. it so much more accessible and so much less intimidating because we've talked about that. It yep. is work, but you know we can't advocate for quitting your day job. And it's it's really refreshing to hear someone say that you don't have to. Let's get into a couple of these others. Neil was going to ask something about private versus public options. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that, and that's what relates to what you did, I think, after this, where you said, uh, you probably changed your strategy a little bit. And like you said, you didn't necessarily go into it full on where you're constantly involved. And so you came up with some other options. And so some of those things that we were going to discuss was the difference first off between some private investing options as well as some public investing options. I can say for a high level on public options for people that's like ETFs, investing in REITs, um, very hands off, very clean and easy, yep. fairly low stress for the most part. Like nobody wants to watch their money go up and down. Um, but it, it's not like a crazy thing. You don't typically see a REIT go down 10%. A lot of REITs pay dividends that are solid. Yeah. You reinvest them. It's yeah. kind of set it and forget it. It's not sexy per se, but... Um, yeah. You have you no know. real control, to be honest. So like, yeah. you, even if you put a million bucks in, that probably the REIT's probably got about 5 billion. <laughs> so it's like you need... Yeah. It's not like you're going to necessarily move the needle. No. Um, but it allows you to kind of track what's going on in the market. And ETFs are, are a similar similar standpoint. On the private side, I think this is what we're more interested in. I think this is the path that you took more so with uh, your investing and what you do in your business now. Uh, I have down here like JV partnering and you you alluded to it earlier. What is kind of doing a JV partner? Kind of what does that look like? And and did you, I mean, imagine you did some. So it will kind of give us some, some talk on that. I'm doing one right now. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I was just telling you about, we're just, we're listing a flip house today and we're doing that with JV partners. Okay. And so for that, for JV partners, sometimes if we, if people, people want to do a project with us, we will use JV partners. Um, This, for example, is a flip property that we're doing. So in our JV partnerships, in that regards, I'm the active partner. Okay. So we basically partner with people who don't have the time or knowledge um, about real estate and they like what we're doing. I don't look for them. They come to me. They've got cash. We're doing and they want us to grow their money for them through active opportunities. So, I, as the operating partner, will be in charge of the acquisition and they have to be in charge of qualifying for mortgage and all monies involved in the transaction. Okay. And then we split everything 50-50. JV, by the way, I, was, I, I never even said, but joint venture, right? Yeah. So it, it's when you're in your partnering with somebody else. Um, so yeah, so you're saying you're the active partner. So you, in this case, you were handling all the renovation and preparing the home for reselling it because this was a flip. So it would have been, I guess, demo, reno, and then preparation for the well, flip. We handled the contractor who. Sorry, yeah, yeah. the contractor. You weren't in there swinging that hammer. <laughs> did you have to do like you said? They came to you. Did they come to you with the money, the mortgage, and the deal, or did you kind of have to analyze that deal and say like, here's a here's a good deal, sort of thing? Oh no, no, they don't. They don't know what they're doing to find yeah, they, deals. They show up no with one the knows how to find yeah. deals. That's my yeah. secret sauce. That's everything. Deals. Yeah. Deals. I have deals. I have teams, and I have systems. 
Yeah. Okay. And so I have deals like nothing in today's market that's on MLS or anywhere is going to make you any money. All mm-hmm. of my specialists have off-market opportunities. And I find off-market opportunities. And I teach other people how to find great deals. Yeah, we've said and this time this and again. Yeah. Myself. I actually was proofing a course that I was doing again on finding great deals just to see how I can improve it. And I just put myself through my course and I found three properties in one hour. One was in downtown Toronto. It was absolutely incredible property. The other one was in Barrie. And the other one was in Markham, right around the, my, where I live, right around the corner from my house. And they were all FISBOs and this, these are not easy to do, but I put myself nope. through my oh. course. I found these three properties. I ended up assigning one of them to, to actually one of our students who's now doing a small land development on this, this property in Barrie. Yeah. We've talked about assignments and, in our, in our. And uh, I went over episode. to this one in Markham right around the corner and I ended up closing on that property and we got it for almost, would it be almost 200 $220,000 below fair market value. Oh, we wow. Secured this property. And that's the only way that we were able to, to flip this property. I thought the Toronto market was right hard. around giving houses away. Owners. Sounds like they're giving houses away out there in Toronto. Well, <laughs> well, we just townhouses here. I'm surprised last in the last week alone here where we live, and this isn't even downtown Toronto. This is in the suburbs, but three townhomes, these are middle townhomes. So how big was a middle townhome? Maybe 15, 1,600 square feet. Yep. Middle, mm-hmm. no. Yeah. 1.3 million. So My heart just, this market's yeah. just ridiculous. Ouch. So you can't find anything. We actually found this home. And we find a lot of homes. My criteria is under a million dollars. And I find properties. We found one of our students a property for under a million dollars in Toronto. We do it all the think, time. And it's not easy, but it's done. Do you yep. think the massive, just on a side... Do you think the massive prices allow for there to be more fluctuation? Because it's like, all right, well, 5% of the difference on that place is $70,000. Like here, our, yep. shit, our our market is so tight. Like we were talking about earlier, it's hard to flip a house because we're buying them for two fifty, and then the flipped house is only going for four hundred. dollars like, It was very difficult to flip houses until more recently where our market started to have that spread. You're not yeah. – you're yeah. missing the point though. It's 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 all relative. Yeah. Because it's and it's all in the buy. It's all in the buy. or $200,000 buffer – I wouldn't have any margins. Hmm. There's a lot of things that go into house flipping people people don't consider. Like our soft costs alone, like all yep. of these expenses before even just everyone just thinks it's purchase price, construction, and resale. We'll talk about your financing, your holding costs, your yep. breaking your financing, your land transfer tax. Yep. In Toronto, you have to pay that twice. So, and so it's, there's a lot of things that go on to it that there's a hundred thousand dollars in soft costs alone. And the thing that people seem to, to always forget too, is that without the buy, there's nothing, right? People are so hot to trot. They're like, just, I want to get something and I'll make it nice. So I'll make it worth this. Like, no, you only make money really off the buy, right? No one else is selling renovated homes here. This, these homes, those $1.3 million tan homes were dumps by the mm. way too. Crazy. Renovated. Crazy. People aren't even doing anything. So, so what are some of the pros and cons about? Let's look specifically at a a JV partner. Yeah, I was gonna say the two. I mean, the two things um, with the JV partner, like what what a common structure looks like. Yeah. Kind of on average, like you said, they brought money, mortgage. You found the deal. Um, What's kind of the breakdown? For like money? Yeah, on on a montage. So I think we understand that you you handled the contractor, you found the deal. I'm not sure you probably maybe picked the agent as well for the resale. But on on the money side of things, how do you guys typically handle it? I know it's it's different for every deal, but I think what would be like a standard, what you'd say is a good fair thing that somebody should be looking for when they're doing a JV. 50-50. I like 50-50. So I don't put any money in my deals. Right. I don't have mm-hmm. to. They bring the money. Experience. Yeah. They do all the money and I get them astronomical returns. Right on. And that's, that's a win-win for both. And I like 50-50 because I believe that partners are 50 and everyone brings something valuable to the relationship. And when it's 50-50, then I just feel like it's a win-win. Now with buy, rent, holds, and I do have buy, rent, holds with JVs because a lot of people are like, I want to do it, but I just don't know how and I want to shadow or I want to do it, but I just don't want to deal with tenants and yep. landlord, like all this sort of stuff. So um, the way we do it with them is the same way except um, if we do a burr, mm-hmm. we split that 50-50 mm-hmm. as well. Yep. A lot of people yep. do not. They you split the takeout 
we split the takeout 50-50 and then we continue to manage it and we'll split cash flow 50-50. Sometimes there's not cash flow to split. Oh, so you only invest in high growth areas. Right. So you'll sometimes so, end up on these JVs longer term if it's a hold. Like they're not all oh, just I sold love, at the you end. You have to do long term. I only do five year for buy rent hold. Right, right. I don't do anything in real estate. So you do either either flips or five year holds. Oh yeah. Flips, yeah. five year holds, unless unless it comes to um a time where to where it's a good time to sell. So for example, yeah. this JV partner came to me but a year and a half ago and they wanted to invest in a high growth area. We bought a property together and the property has gone up $150,000 mm-hmm. in value. And I don't see this area going much higher. Right. I think this will be an area. It's a great area, but it is fictitiously high. Right. So now you're like thinking here where yeah. we live, where, you know, this, this is really expensive, whatever. It's a different kind of risk with this area. It's farther from Toronto, but it's still a great, it's actually Windsor, Ontario, which is a really great market. But now the average price of a home in Windsor is like $500,000. And I don't sure if that's sustainable for that economy, given on the history of that. We only paid 200 for it. Right. So now it's it's up. So I'm like, why don't we sell? Yeah. And if you have- Why would we hold on to this? We could sell this and buy something else or- and going into it in a situation like that, do you have a preset like exit strategy? If someone wants to pull the shoot and there's maybe a disagreement on that, you have that structured in the initial agreement, I'm sure. Yeah. Absolutely. There's always buyout clauses in your JV. So all of our members, they have access to like this template. Our first JV was one page. Our right. JV template now is 27 <laughs> okay. pages. Okay. It took us years yeah. and thousands and thousands of dollars to get to that point. But yeah. it really outlines a lot of important things for JVs. And then it also talks about the roles of the JVs and then obviously the actual partnership in question. And so if what happens, if you want to sell or whatever, you know, you could buy yourself out or if we agree to hold it until blah, blah, blah. So all those things are in the JV agreement. Do you ever incorporate and then have a share structure or what's the ownership structure? No, because I don't don't like to work with a lot of people. Right. So that kind of goes into your second thing where, where I love to invest now. Um, really is because I have a lot of active real estate mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. I have active real estate with JV partners. So that but, takes a yeah. lot of time. So yeah. let's talk about how, what a pain in the butt real estate is. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone here should know that real estate is painful. It's an annoying and it's whatever, but obviously we love it because it gives us access to life. We otherwise couldn't achieve, which is why I got yep. caught up on all the hoopla to begin with is you'll make like it's big money and it's mm-hmm. big transactions and it's exciting. And that's why I got so caught up. It's and, addictive wow, too. It's flat out addictive. To be a yeah. teacher. And now yeah. all of a sudden I'm doing this apartment buildings. It's like little old me. Yeah. That yeah. was the ego side. Yeah. But now I prefer in these larger opportunities to do what, what we were talking about earlier, which was the, the passive investments. And I love private market products. So I was actually learned all about self-directing all my registered funds. So all that money that was $40,000 projected returns and in these normal uh, REITs and all these other sort of things, I pulled everything out and I gave, put them all in private market products. I pulled my kids RESPs in private market products, all these sort of things. Now I have investments. This is what I'm consistently investing in. Self-storage opportunities. These are big funds, multi-billion yeah. dollar trusts, but they're private. They're not publicly traded. REITs are publicly traded. Mm-hmm. You have little control. You don't know where your money's going. It's just dispersed. Plus, it's all sustainability at that point. In the private market world, this is where the growth is. All those REITs that everyone's investing in now, they were once private. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. were once private. So this is where you want to get in is you want to go in to amazing opportunities and I didn't want to be in charge of this because I've seen my capabilities and what I could do. I get a much higher ROI in active real estate and doing all this, but I see how much work it is. And I think yep. when I Keep regain my focus, clean. I want to do one thing. I just want to work with funds who are doing one thing and I'll have a smaller piece of a pie, but you get to play than having the entire <laughs> pie and I don't got to do any work. And that is a passive investment, but there's so much growth. I can research. I can meet the directors I can vet these people, their track record, their history, their previous project, and I get like front row seat on the growth of these investments and yeah. from licensed professionals 
that protect my money. So they they ought, they have to answer to the Securities Commission. So, but this can also be intimidating for different reasons. Some people aren't feeling comfortable to walk into these rooms and feel again they get that little old me, you know, idea by the big. This bad is where the guy. top two percent are growing their money. The top two percent right. do not do things everyday people do. They are not putting their money in REITs and whatever they own the REITs. Mm-hmm. You know, they are there or they're in the, the early opportunities. And we want to help people overcome this little old B and take away that fear by educating them and giving them the information they need. We're all about education and empowerment. And that's why we did our rebranding to RPI education, because when we were real property investments, I was on uh, like on our website. It made us sound like we're an investment firm and people had to invest with us. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And I had properties that I wanted. I don't want you to invest with me. Right. I want to share our power teams with you, learn what you want to do and help you invest for yourself with getting this education required. So I was actually on another podcast where this person asked to interview me and they were practicing their coaching skills. It was kind of like this backwards podcast. Okay. And she called me on that. She said, RPI, our real property investment sounds like an investment firm. You've done like a billion dollars in transactions, blah, blah, blah. It sounds like you want me to invest with you. And you're, are you a fund? I'm mm-hmm. not a fund. Then why are you making yourself sound like a fund? Right. Yeah. Why don't you have education in the title? Three days later, rebrand right away. So when <laughs> right. I see something that needs to be changed, to yeah. we go in and we changed everything just from an outsider's perspective. Because to me, that meant the world. And this is what other people, these people need to get over themselves and learn that you you do deserve to be in that room or even behind your computer screen. You need to start thinking differently, acting differently and investing differently. So if a, you don't, you're going to continue to be this statistic. I think this is really interesting because I've never really heard someone, I don't know if critique is the right word, but these things are so in vogue, these JV active flips this and, and you know, you're someone now who's gone through that and says there's even better. If you thought that was good, you can now testify to your experience that there is something better. And I don't know if I've really come across that a whole lot, to be honest with you, because no. every single thing that we see is trying to sell these programs devoted to like, you would be up there with those hundred transactions as the poster child for these programs. And now you're saying there's something else. So maybe let's unpack those private opportunities a bit more. Just a little bit, yeah. Yeah. What would you, you know, the elevator pitch, and I hate to say that, but to someone who wants to learn about that, what, what would, where would you start with them? Um, are you tired of low or no growth returns in your registered funds? Do you want more control over your investments? <laughs> I'm standing up. Yeah. I'm standing up. <laughs> for the top 2%. Because yeah. now it's since the eligible investor status came. And I think that right. was in 2016, was it? 15? Not sure, but yeah. Growth? I think it was earlier. I was like 2012 or something. Anyways, when that changed from just the accredited investor, there was a huge party going on that only the rich people are invited to. Yep. Mm-hmm. And if you're not an accredited investor, you couldn't do this. As soon as they open up the door to eligible investors, and everyone is pretty much an eligible investor, at least if you're investing in real estate, you should be an eligible yeah. investor. Yeah. You, um, credit, you know, yeah. now everyone's invited and people need to start thinking differently and thinking like the big boys. Now, finance has a history of talking over people's heads to keep them dependent on financial advisors. And I'm the ventriloquist here where I work with the top people in the industry, the smartest minds, the best financiers. And they say, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like the ventriloquist sitting next to their dummy going, what he's saying is, and we break down this to layman's terms and everyday concepts because the reason people don't understand they don't is because they, because they're talking over them. So is simple. Yeah, like but investing is simple. Warren and, Buffett says if a four-year-old cannot explain the investment with a crayon, do not invest in it. Right. All these projects <laughs> yeah. that I invest in are super duper simple. Yeah. So everyone knows kind of, all right, well, the starting point, I understand I need to get, if, if this is the the other approach that maybe is, is somewhat in your rearview mirror, but maybe what you start with is I need a great deal on some bricks and mortar and I can understand the Burr method. Yeah. That now people understand with these private investments, where do people start from that? Because that's another thing. I don't know where to start. That's what everyone says with Mm -hmm. with everything. Well, that's why the first thing we do with people are called intake calls. And I've actually created a methodology where we overlook someone's entire 
some strategic questions, financial plan and their mindset where they want to go and show them exactly that's what we do at RPI, show them where to start and then connect them with licensed professionals to help them get there and hold their hand. Cause we never had anyone holding our hand. Mm-hmm. We had the knowledge, but we were alone in the construction field doing all this stuff. No one was there to help us. Mm-hmm. And it takes more than knowledge. It takes a supportive community. And that's really what we're trying to do. Now in the private market world, what we teach people how to do first of all is the importance of self-directing your registered funds. Most people have TFSAs, RSPs, a group fund. I also forgot to mention my husband doesn't work now either because of Mm -hmm. this. So on his 40th birthday, he went in to his employer and he resigned. Punched him in the nose. And it took us five (laughs) years to do it. And he did it. And we're both home. We're both home with kids and we're both playing tennis. And we're both having that dream. And he actually, all the money that we were matching with the group employer and all that stuff, we pulled that huge chunk of change out that we did save up and um, from his group fund. And because now it was transferred to Lira. Mm -hmm. And we were able to also, on top of our RSPs, our ESPs, and our TFSAs, our Lira as well. So once you learn how to, and it's such a, it seems like it's so much, people think they're dissolving their funds or they're dissolving their registered funds. You are not. Mm-hmm. You're simply transferring. And we use Olympia Trust. That's my favorite uh, portal. And it costs $150. And there's simple step-by-step instructions on the website. And the if you are invested with a particular issuer, they can actually help you walk you through that transfer. So you don't really even have to do it yourself but people get psyched out and i think even that is hard change is hard right. because change yep. is scary it's stressful so too you're moving a big like portion of money, no money yeah the first thing you could do is start investing passively this way now apartment syndications are usually twenty five thousand, fifty thousand, whatever they're a great way to invest too mm-hmm. i do apartment syndications it's a bigger chunk of change yeah in the private market world obviously you're going to have to have a certain amount of capital available. How much well, are you talking? I mean, even with Addy Investments, who is, we just had presented RPI, and they're not the private, but they, you can invest for as little as a dollar with Addy Investments. And these are top eight asset classes, up to $1,500. But that's a totally different mm-hmm. tech yep. crowdfunding concept that we could get into after. But for the private market world, obviously, you have to have a little bit of money available there. But then they could diversify it for you. But you pick. It's not the right. uh, question that I got from the mutual fund company. What's your risk tolerance? Low, medium, or high? And then you yeah. never hear from them who, again. Who is diversifying that investment for you on the private money market side? Like, who is doing that? An EMD. A right. licensed, exempt market dealer. So that's another point of security that, I mean, you guys could go out to your local groups and the REA and there's going to be some guy just like the guy in the room who's doing the LLC and whatever. And you can buy his apartment thing, too. Or the, This, to me, is an extra layer of protection right. yeah. when we work with people. Yeah. I spend most of my days vetting investment opportunities because I grow my money as an investor. And I talk to 99% of stuff that I that I hear, I don't, I don't move forward with because a lot of it is everyday people that are just, you know, starting out and doing it where I prefer to do it with, I don't like that, that share structure. I like, you know, licensed professionals. They have something to lose. They have, yeah, a hundred percent. There's, there's for you. They have to, they have someone to answer to what you know, sort of thing. What is a EMD typically looking for, for you to come to them with? Like, are they saying like, if I call them, and I said I got ten dollars. He's probably gonna tell me to go pound sand. But if I said, okay, do I have ten thousand, or does he need a hundred thousand dollars? What do they want to see for us to get involved in, like you said, some of these storage plays or uh, new developments? Let's say. So you always want to invest in opportunities that are not very lucrative for the issuer. This is the same thing with insurance. We're really passionate about infinite banking insurance. This is our new. Actually, blockchain is my latest obsession. Infinite banking, we mastered. Now I love that too. But I get onto these new these things, and this is what I'm supposed to be doing: is learning and, and sharing. So, with commissions and structures and this and that sort of thing, it's not very impressive on their part. And obviously, time is money too. And these are people who are used to dealing with the top two percent, and mm. it really is a volume play. Yeah, right. anyone that works with RPI, they feel our mission to work with everyday people. And they understand it's not the same thing, but at the same time, it takes the same amount 
of money to or time to do a $10 transaction than it does a $10 million transaction. Right. Yep. Well, I would honestly say for, for some of the private market things, normally a book of $100,000, if that's all this person was going to do, mm-hmm. would be very, very, a very, very strong point. But I've seen people do things $50,000, $75,000. Now, if they know they're working with us in real estate and they're looking to do burrs and they're looking to do different types of transactions, you have to realize there's also a strategy that they're going to reinvest that capital as well. What the- so when a lot of that's why a lot of the wealth professionals love to work with us too, because they see how we can take everyday people and make them make more money than they ever right. knew was humanly possible. When we do burrs, our investors are pulling out between seventy-five to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, mm-hmm. and this is just after a few months. Yeah, this yeah. is the average family makes seventy-five thousand dollars. Yeah, real estate, you do. A couple of these. Sky's the limit this for sure. Even one of these. This totally. is more money than. Yeah. Than so they know that then. The yeah. These folks could have capital free up in lump sums coming down the pipeline. It's so they, there's a bit of a long play from their perspective too. What is an EMD exactly. charging on a commission basis? Like just out of curiosity. So I'm giving them $100,000 to invest in one of these storage plays. What, what am I expecting them to charge me for doing so? Very good. So all the fees, and it's not big on your part at all, especially when you can compare that to the the public market things as well, because you have to look at the publicly traded markets and when you're doing mutual funds, right? Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you review your past five years of returns, you're going to get 5%, okay, mm-hmm. which isn't bad, mm-hmm. 5%, minus 2.5% management expense ratio fees, and then minus 1.3% inflation. What are we growing our money at? It's yeah. under, under 1%. Yep. So here, with the private market world, they have fees. They are not costly. And they're disclosed to you. So you know everything written out in front of you of what they are making and how these how these fees are allocated. This has to be all clearly written out in the share structure. And you want to hear a funny thing is that... You are more informed when you're investing in private market products than you ever will be, except mm. the first thing you read, and this is a securities thing, that you Big read disclaimer. on the statement is, I hope you know that you are invest. I don't know if it says, I hope you know, yeah. or <laughs> it's a little more legal, legalese yeah. than that, but you are investing in a high risk investment and you could lose all your money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is how risk, but do they tell you that in stocks and mutual funds and no, it's some, somewhere like within your, no. probably your web broker platform. It probably says that, but yeah, it, the fine print. I'm yeah, sure. exactly. Somewhere deep yeah. in the fine print, but no, it's, but it's not. Tell us that. It's not right to the chart. It's put to the chart in the back of the cubicle. The first thing you, you sign here, it says you are entering a high risk. It's like, yeah. this here. but here's my question to you. So they want us to invest in the banks and they want to invest in these things. That, that we could easily are as risky. Where do you think they're growing their money? Totally, by lending it to these private corps anyway. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. So we yeah. want to be the bank. Like yeah. We want to do what the banks they're are doing. And that's why out. I love private market. I get that the diversity. It doesn't have to be a lot. Sometimes I have $5,000 here, $10,000 here, $20,000 here. I could even do cash investments on an ongoing basis every month. Right. But for in terms of a commission on 100 k it's approximately what? I do not know. Okay. I yeah, am not enough. licensed, yeah. and they would have to disclose that. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah but, no, fair enough. What's but, the, what's put it ex- this way. I gladly grow my money in in the products. Yeah, your net percentage as is well. Still and I have it, no yeah. qualms in, in it. It's not the same as them. Um, and this is the thing is that most people in the private market world, you have to realize, left the traditional world. Mm-hmm. Because what happened was they realized the same thing that Vaughn and I realized when we were doing things the traditional way, it wasn't working. So they figured out how to do their own their own things. They started going their own money in private market. And then they felt a bit like a heel because then they're going and telling their clients to invest in mutual funds. Totally. They're <laughs> yeah. getting all this success in the private market. So that's yeah. why a lot of EMDs do that shift from typical financial planner over to to the uh, private markets. Gotcha. Yeah. So I'm at last question about the private private money just because we're starting to run up on time here. What's the timeline on that? So when you make your $100,000 investment, when am I going to be able to get my money back? Am I able to withdraw it six months in or do I have to wait until the project goes through full completion or what? what is the, kind of the, the, the tie down yeah. on my money? It's yeah. through It's through the full length of the project. 
Well, first of all, you wouldn't put your whole hundred in one basket because that's not allowed through the okay. Securities Commission. So okay. you're not allowed to over-diversify. So you're okay, very, very protected. Cool. Second of all, you are not liquid yeah. for five years. Oh, Depends wow. On the term. Now, okay. the private markets I work with, the, the agencies that I work with and I, I invest with, they have a lot of different issuers on the shelf and they can diversify so some might could be, you know, you're paid quarterly right away, some of your debt partner. And so this is really where you look at your investments anyways. If you're investing in your retirement fund, right. you don't need that till you're 65. So it's okay for it to be tied down for a little bit. To that capital or get any returns. And when you learn and at, at RPI education, we teach you, we invite you to these events too to learn about it, see how these deals are structured. Another thing I think about people who don't have the money yet to invest in it is you should learn about it and how it's set up and start doing things to create that income so you can participate in these types of things. And we've talked before how sometimes someone hits the first, you know, burn is all excited and then they've got this cash and either they do something dumb, buy a car that they shouldn't buy, or they're so keen to do it again that the second buy never replicates the strength of the first buy. And so they have this constant ebb and flow of being flush and then they have a bad one and then they get flush again. Um, but this is an opportunity to maybe take some of these earnings, these winnings and and, and investing them into something long-term. Did we make eye parallel. contact when you said bad vehicle purchase? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, so at RPI, we don't buy cars, first of all. Um, Neil is not your target audience. And no one owns them, which yeah. is even better. Yeah. Except if you do own them and you said those you shouldn't buy. A lot of us have those mm-hmm. and you should buy because we have the money to own them. Yeah. And so, and I'm, I'm, You're talking I can't wait to I'm going to come down the Maritimes and I'm hoping you got one of those. Yeah. And, Man, and I've got a couple dune buggies, buggies that we can race around. That's my <laughs> Hit the beach. Um, Listen, like we could talk about this all day, and and I've really found this very, very, very interesting. I always like learning about people's experiences first and foremost because I find that really informative and helpful. So thanks for sharing that stuff. A question we ask everyone when we have them on, and I think you've touched on a lot, is just what success means to you. And I can imagine you've got something pretty ready at hand and on the top of your head for that. Oh, absolutely. Because you have to remind yourself what you're doing this for every day, right? Exactly. So success to me is time, money, freedom. And it really is the time, um, how to spend my time. And I'm really spend most of my time with my kids. Um, On the weekends, I was like, I had the best weekend because I was in the car from 8 a.m. till 10 p.m. watching kids at sports and driving them around. And it's exhausting, but it's to me, there's nothing I would rather do. Right. And really be with my family and watching them, you know, cheering them on and, and, and living life with them. So that's definitely the time that you want, but you need the money to do it. And so having control yep. over my money and residual streams of income and really learning about people when they join RPI, we want to figure out what is it you want to do and what's that shortage? How can we get you going, you know, right then and there? So you start achieving immediately because say right. if you're just yeah. frustrated that, you know, I just want to go from full-time to part-time work so I could spend more time for my kids. That's what we would be helping people achieve. And we would advise on the proper real estate tools to help them get there. Gotcha. So that's really it. And then the yeah. free, it's all about freedom. Like I, like Hogo Chanel says, my life didn't please me. So I created my life. I have created my life from the bottom up. I'm watching my kids create their life and I've helped thousands of people create their best life. And we're all one heartbeat away from death. Mm. So every day you wake up, it's a miracle. This isn't about grinding it out for five years and working like no one else will. So you can have or no one else. Who cares about everyone else? Do this for you. Do this for your why. Do it every day and do it <laughs> now. We could preach. I'm loving it. Now. Agreed. I'm Times a thousand. Up. Do it for you. Um, listen, we've got to wrap up here. Uh, we'd love to have you back another time, but in the meantime, where can someone find RPI? What's the quickest way we can point them? RPIeducation.com. I'd advise everyone to check on. We have events every week, uh, that are happening. We are a global community. We have 30 chapters across the globe. We even have a community in the Maritimes. We're looking to get back into in-person events. I'm hoping that you guys will be involved in that. I'd love to do that with will you Will you be there personally? 
Yeah. I will fly in for that. All right, I there we go. Hold you to that. Have her word. Don't let poor We're Neil down. We're multiplying the RPI mission. So anyone who's on here, if you're like, I can't stand this woman, it's totally fine because there's a lot of people that are experts with RPI education that certainly are not me. And um, we really are that global community and we are looking to, to really fill that wealth gap and help help everyday people overcome these statistics. That's awesome. My life would be a yeah. lot easier if I focused on the top 2%, but yeah. I yeah. could give two hoots about that. They're doing great on their own. I'm here to help everyday people. And I believe everyone could make a difference and have real estate in their portfolio, whether it's active paths of ideally both. Yeah, definitely. We believe it. Okay. I think that's our time for today. Thanks so much again for joining us. Neil, any last yes. thoughts before we head out? No, thank you so much, Monica. I think it's yeah, definitely worth checking on RPI. In general, education is major key, keeping focused on your end goal. So, 100%. And Neil's going to tell us what he learned in North Carolina when he gets back. Exactly. So, all right. Thanks again. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Cheers. Bye. Rich habit.